Punching Holes in the Darkness is a podcast by the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. It's an opportunity for pastors and leaders in Michigan churches to have their voices heard and to share how to best reach our mission field from Detroit to the Upper Peninsula. Friends, we want to welcome today uh, One Mission TV as our sponsor here at uh, Punching Holes in the Darkness podcast. They have been an invaluable partner with us since I've come here to uh, the Baptist State uh, Convention of Michigan. What they effectively have done is they took all of our media resources and we put them together in this one neat package that One Mission TV takes care of. They're just doing an admirable job for us and have really taken us to a different level in uh, our media work. Here's some things they've done for us. They've done web design, they can do logo design, designs for print materials, and of course, any kind of video presence and, and recording you'd like to do. And uh, they've really helped us enhance our online presence as they can for you. Great guys, great partners. You will be glad you have done this. They're really a one-call media company, and I think you'll be blessed by using One Mission TV. And friends, if you want to contact One Mission TV, you can do so at info at onemission.tv. That's info at onemission.tv. Now here's our guest host, Mike Durbin, the BSCM's State Director of Evangelism. Today I'm joined by two very special guests to discuss a difficult but absolutely necessary subject for every church. Dr. Michelle White is a licensed psychologist and counselor in the state of Michigan and the owner of WBC Counseling in Ann Arbor and Flint. She is an active member of Middlebelt Baptist Church. Art Weary is the pastor of New Life Church in Fraser, Michigan, where he has served for over 30 years. The church operates a residential treatment center Hey, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. We need to discuss the difficult subject of how churches today must address the issue of sexual abuse. Let's be real clear. It happens in every sphere of life, including the church. Now, it doesn't happen in every church, but every church needs to be prepared, needs to be proactive in making sure that their church is an environment where every person is protected. Dr. White, you are the leader of our Caring Together team. What motivated you to take on this responsibility? First of all, thank you for being a part, both of you, of this important endeavor that God has selected us and called us together for. I remember getting the call from Pastor Mike and asking if I would be a part of this team and lead this team. And he said, don't give me an answer just yet. I want you to go and pray and tell me what the Lord gives you through that process. So as I prayed, Lord, is this your will? The question changed from that to how can I not be a part of this process? I have the opportunity to see this topic in several different areas. Let me elaborate on that. I'm up close and personal in my everyday practice with myself and my staff dealing with this issue of sexual trauma, whether it is men, women, children. 
And so I understand the pain and I can empathize with the pain and the journey that these individuals have. Also, I'm a leader within my church and I understand that individuals that have not healed are broken and that brokenness infiltrates into our churches. And then we have broken people, which were all broken, but broken specifically from sexual trauma leading ministries and have issues with connecting with individuals or may have uh, trauma connected concerns with where they are within the church ministry. And so that hinders ministry, it hinders the church. And then the third sphere that God really pricked my heart is that I too have a story to tell that as we talk about going from victim to victorious, God has allowed me to experience going from being a victim to being victorious. And so as we share through the podcast and as we share through other videos that our team will be putting out this year, I'm hoping that God will allow me an opportunity to share my story so that it will be an encouragement to other individuals as well. Yeah. So this is an issue that has affected you personally. Yes. One that you've seen multiple times in your professional career as a counselor. Pastor Art, I want to ask you the same question. What what motivated you, you know, with all the other things that you have to do to take on this added responsibility? For us at New Life, to take on this new ministry to people who are struggling with sexual abuse, it was a natural fit for us because of the ministry we already have to people who are substance abusers, those who struggle with addictions. Over the years, we've heard horror stories about what people will allow themselves to be put through in order to get the money they need for drugs. And we we normally think of women and how they're allowing themselves to be violated for money to support their habit. But we don't realize how many men will also allow themselves to be abused so they can have the money they need to buy the drugs that their body cries out for. So in our effort to help people find deliverance from substances, we wanted to add another layer of support to those people who need deliverance in other ways, especially sexual abuse. So each of us has the, the, the concern in our hearts of dealing with this. And we felt on a convention level that it was important for us to have a, a team of people that would work with our churches especially in the preventive areas, but also when a church has to actually deal with something that may have happened. Why, why do you think it's important for us to have a team like this? It is crucial for every state to have a team that is focusing on the well-being and the prevention of the congregants. And not just the congregants, but also a fence, as you will, for the pastoral team, for the ministry leaders as well. We are hoping that we can help as a team provide a fence of protection that will give, and I'm sure Pastor Art will go into more detail about what we're hoping our team will be able to provide as far as the videos and far as the training is concerned, but we're hoping to provide a framework of safety so that when a new family enters into a church, they don't have to worry about their children being safe. 
when we have ministry leaders that have had abuse in their past and they want to heal from that, our team will be able to provide resources such as counseling, um, not ourselves per se, but we'll be able to link them with counseling agencies within their community that will help that process. As we can help provide safety, as we can help provide resources, then we're helping churches become healthy. We're helping individuals be healthy. We're helping the churches become healthy and we're helping keeping the church safe as well. Yeah, our, Michelle just referenced a very important concept in our working together uh, during the, you know, for the Caring Well team, that of offense. Take just a moment and talk to us a little bit about what that, that fence concept is in the Caring Well uh, strategy. The fence concept that we have developed as part of the Caring Well process for churches to implement is really simple to understand. The concept is not complicated at all. No security system happens by accident. Everything that's put in place has to be put in place intentionally. We have an associate pastor in our church, and recently someone just came into his backyard, went right through the gate, and uh, was looking around and left the gate open. The dog got away. And he spent last week putting in cameras in his backyard, putting in uh, a chain around the, the gate to keep it locked. Because having a gate is great, but it doesn't work too well if it doesn't have a lock. Well, the same is true in the church. If we don't put in policies and practices in the system consciously thinking about what we need to do to close all these gaps, and that's where the fence comes in. A fence is an effective way to keep people out, but only if it doesn't have gaps in it, only if it doesn't have an unlocked gate. And so we've developed a process where a church can evaluate its systems, its policies and practices, to put in as many slats as necessary to make sure that there are not openings that predators can just walk right through. So that includes background checks. That includes policies about who can work with children and who can't. That includes practices about making sure that we have uh, enough people in, in all of the different areas watching the exits, for example. But it's more than just having policies and practices and procedures. We have to adequately teach people who will be working in the church with the children in these different ministries. We have to convey to them what is expected of them. We have to teach them what to look for. What does a predator look like? Not physically, but what are some of the things that a predator might say or do to gain access to get to our children. It does no good to have approved policies if people don't know what's expected of them in the course of their responsibilities at the church. Yeah, so we'll talk more about that in podcasts to come and also in some of the other materials that we're preparing. But Michelle, how, how do you see the Caring Together Michigan helping churches? We're going to be prayerfully the first line of resource for them. If there are issues that are happening currently within their churches where sexual abuse has happened, we're praying that they'll feel comfortable to reach out to our team, first and foremost, for prayer. Second, for any wisdom that we may have as it pertains to walking this journey with other churches, a place where they can feel that their information will be confidentially held and protected, and then to provide resources for them for healing. 
Then the second part of where we're praying that God will allow our team to be most effective is, is what Pastor Art just talked about, was building the slats in that fence to make sure that our team can provide those resources, whether it's ministry background checks, whether it is other tools that will help protect the church and protect the congregants within the church. Excellent. Someone showed me a graph one time with highs and lows. It, it looked, a, looked a whole lot like the, the ups and downs of the, the stock market. There were good days. There were bad days. There were days that were just, you know, hardly moved at all. And then she went on to say that that graph kind of explains the, what the, the victim of sexual abuse goes through. It, it's not a straight line toward healing. There, there, there are ups and downs. There are good days. There are bad days. There are times when the trauma of the abuse, of the abuse resurfaces and the feelings around it are relived. When that happens, it's just really, really hard for the survivor and often confusing for the people around him or her. Michelle, do you, is, that a, is that a helpful description? Absolutely. It's a very helpful and accurate description. And the reason we're seeing this, unfortunately, um, played out in current national headlines across our country, where we see very prominent pastors or very prominent church leaders being enthralled with some of these sexual abuse scandals. And the first thing that happens is that the victim is not believed. The ministry or the church may come out with a statement that says, we stand by the pastor, we stand by the church leader, we stand by and you fill in the blank with whoever's maybe on their staff without doing the due diligence of really talking with the victim and finding out that this really happened. I am thrilled that we're starting to see more investigation going on so that the victim's story truly becomes believable because it's happened. Uh, we all attended a conference a few years back where the percentage of false reports of individuals was extremely, extremely low. And so if you look on the other side of that, then that means if someone has the bravery to come forth and say this, then we as a church, we as a community need to first and foremost believe them. So if we look at that trajectory of going up with healing, it's up and down, partly because of what I just shared. The victim is afraid. They don't want to come forward. They don't feel that people will believe them. And we have seen within our own team cases across the country where the victim's family sometimes doesn't even believe them. And so as they're going through this process of attempting to heal, they're not believed, or sometimes they are, or they're re-victimized by the issue being brought back up the issue being asked, why were you in that area? Why did you allow yourself to be in that area? And so that journey of healing becomes very complicated with the investigative part of that. So the graph that you explained is a very good explanation of trauma and how someone has to work slowly through that process of healing. There's true growth in the journey. Friends, I want to introduce to you one of our new partners. It is GuideServe. They are our 
financial partner who helps us take care of all of our nickels and noses, so to speak. Uh, GuideServe is an outsourced accounting partner for our Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Uh, GuideServe provides professional accounting solutions to churches and ministries all across the country. And they offer, they truly offer some comprehensive accounting and payroll solutions to organizations ranging from a just beginning church plant to large churches and expansive ministries. And listen, if you'd like to know more about them, you can visit their website at guideserve.com or send them an email at info at guideserve.com. And by the way, if you mention BSCM, uh, when you do, it'll be a benefit to us as well. So. Welcome our new partner, Geyser. You and I have talked about this before, but nothing in our college or seminary training prepared us to deal with this issue. So as a pastor, speaking to other pastors, what, what would you say to them? How, how should we proceed in dealing with an accusation of abuse in the church. How should we address the accusation of abuse in the church? Unfortunately, the church doesn't have a good track record in dealing with accusations of abuse. Most of the examples that we can point to are examples of what not to do, of how churches have done it wrong. First and foremost, the church has to take accusations seriously. Almost always when the issue of abuse blows up in the church, we find out that accusations had been made before but dismissed. Suspicions were raised previously, but no one did anything and the abuse was allowed to continue. We must take accusations seriously. Second, we don't just want to circle the wagons and try to protect the church at all costs. Oftentimes, our loyalty to the institution, the church itself, causes us to want to do everything we can to sweep this under the rug, to make it go away, to protect the church. But when we do that, we play right into the hands of the abusers. Third, we've got to make sure that the victim is being cared for, to make sure that the victim is being protected. There's a natural tendency to want to stand by the people we love in the church, especially the pastor. But we cannot let our love for our pastor blind us to the fact that something terrible may have taken place under his leadership. Making sure the victim is cared for must always include recommending outside professional counseling with people like Dr. White. Pastors are equipped to do great ministry but this is one area where most of us would do well to pass on to people who are much more qualified than us because that's part of helping the victim feel cared for. We want you to get the best care possible at this time in your life. Every accusation of sexual abuse, abuse especially involving minors, needs to be reported to the authorities. You know, the church is not equipped to do policing and do investigating of that, that, that nature. And we need to let the professionals deal with it. You, you raised some interesting points when you, you went through that, uh, that list. Now, sometimes when we put a list out there like that, it makes it sound like it's really complicated. But the reality is, these are just most of them very common sense kinds of things that churches need to engage in 
with some policies. For instance, every child care worker has to go through a background check. Every child care worker has to go through an interview process. We look at their references. And, you know, those are things that, that um, if we put those in place, it helps us to move a long way on that journey of making sure that our whole environment uh, is one of safety, not just for everybody who's attending, but for, for all of the workers who are engaged in serving Christ in the various capacities that God has called them to. So it, it's important. Um, it does take time. Once these plans, once these policies and procedures are put in place, they they operate smoothly together if everybody is working to make it happen. I really want to clarify something. Dr. White, is this an issue that only affects women? No, it is not. And I'm so glad that you asked that question because many times people think that this is an issue that only impacts women. We have seen actually over the past few years in different entities where adult men are coming forward and saying that they were abused in different entities. And so I think it's important for us to recognize that sexual abuse and sexual trauma is not just a gender specific area or issue, but it truly goes across all both genders, both men and women. Sometimes we also think that we're only protecting children but we have to look at our children, our teens, our women, our men. And as we're building those slats in the fence, they have to protect the entire congregation, just not one section of the congregation. Yeah, I really like that you brought that up because the reality is anytime a spiritual leader abuses anyone, that's abuse. And to take advantage of somebody because of a position of uh, power and influence is wrong. And it doesn't just happen to children. Pastor Art, what would you like to add to that? That is such an important point that you bring up, Mike, that uh, victims of abuse don't all look the same. They don't all fall neatly into one category. And that's how uh, young boys were able to be abused for so long within the church, within the Boy Scouts, because we just didn't see them fitting into that category. But we see now so many adults are coming forward and telling us about abuse from decades ago when we weren't even thinking in these terms. We've got to re-educate ourselves into what this means for the church today in ministering to a much broader segment of the population than we ever dreamed. You know, our whole vision and goal is to be proactive on the front end. We want to help churches establish those those practices that make for the very uh, protective kind of place for those we are entrusted to care for. But with that being said, sometimes the unthinkable does happen and abuse, uh, you know, it it occurs. And the church isn't always adequately equipped to deal with the trauma and other things that accompany abuse of any kind. When should, Dr. White, when should the church refer I, I hate to use the word victim, but they are. We will ultimately want them to move toward victorious. But when should the church uh, refer to a, a professional like yourself? I would say immediately there needs to be a good working relationship with the pastoral team and a local counseling agency. Even if that counseling agency is just a sounding board. 
because we have to recognize, and I love the fact that you said victim to victorious, because it is a hard word to keep saying, because sometimes when we keep using that word, it keeps them stuck sometimes without growth. So I think it's great to recognize that there is that growth. We see that there is physical healing that needs to take place. There is emotional healing that needs to take place. And then there's also spiritual healing that needs to take place. Um, Sometimes when individuals have been on the receiving end of this type of abuse, they ask the question, where is God in all of this? What does that say about my faith? What does that say about who I am? And so I believe that the pastoral team can begin the pastoral counseling in that area in tandem work with a Christian counselor to deal with the physical and the emotional abuse that has happened as well. Um, I should mention, uh, we've talked about, you know, is there a difference between secular counseling and then Christian counseling? And there is. With Christian counseling, and let me say Christian counseling, what I mean by that is biblically based counseling that is rooted in the gospel, that is rooted in hope, is the type of counseling that we're recommending as a caring together team. Because it is truly, as we know, the hope that the gospel gives that will be that healing point and that healing trajectory for individuals to truly receive healing in all three of those areas. So I want to also say that it's a case-by-case basis. There may be a person who comes forward after 30 years of never telling their story, and the pastoral counseling may be the place where they find their most successful healing, and they may not need to seek an outside source. Or on the other end, it could have just happened, and they're trying to navigate all of the nuances of dealing with the police, they're navigating possibly a school, they're navigating, then that's where the starting the counseling with an outside agency in tandem with the pastoral team is going to be most beneficial. Yeah, I think that's so vital to know that um, there are limits to what we can do as pastors. And sometimes we need to bring in those people who can come alongside us, tell people experience the healing that they they need and licensed counselors like yourself are, are a partner in that healing process. So we need to take advantage of that. But let me kind of ask a, a generalized question because there may be somebody who's listening to what we're discussing today. And uh, perhaps they were or are currently being uh, victimized. What would, what would you say to them, Dr. White? I would say there's hope. And there are resources for immediate help. I would also say that there's someone who has your similar story that God has provided in his very word so many resources that we could begin to use right now to provide that healing. And so if someone is currently victimized or if someone currently is wondering, should I speak up? Should I go forward? And the answer is yes. And then there's hope. Yeah. And Art, I think the uh, church is uniquely equipped to help people along this, this journey. Um, how do you see the church being able to create the environment and the conditions where people are moving closer toward that, that wholeness that the gospel speaks of? What would I say to the victim? I would say that we're all messed up. 
we're all broken in different ways. The church exists not for people who've got it all together, who are perfect. The church exists for people who need help, for those who have been abused. So we want the victim to see that the church is a safe place where they can be open and honest to deal with their own shame, to help them understand how they've been uh, taken advantage of and it wasn't their fault. We want them to know that they're loved and accepted despite the fact that they've got a history that they're not proud of. And we want to lead them to, to the one who can wash away our past and give us a whole new life of wholeness in him. We want to bring them to Jesus. But the other thing that I would tell someone who's looking for help in the church I would tell them if they're not getting the help that they need, if they're not getting the support that they need from the church that they're attending, I would tell them to find another church. Because there are churches out there who will care for them and love them in their present situation. There's no point in them staying in a church that is not meeting their needs that they so desperately need at that moment. Yeah. Someone said to me recently, the church is not a safe harbor for us. It's a safe harbor for the world to hear the message of the gospel. And I like that because, you know, the, the, the idea is that uh, the place where we can come in a broken world to experience healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing, uh, is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I thank you both for the way that you have shared today of what you're doing in your ministries. You know, it's exciting to, to see uh, our convention of churches proactively deal with the situation that hopefully none of our churches will ever experience. But realistically, we need to be prepared on the front end, protect on the front end so we don't have to deal with the devastation that comes when the church doesn't adequately create a safe environment. Amen. Amen. Take care and God bless. This has been Punching Holes in the Darkness, a podcast from the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. If you have liked this episode, please rate us and leave a review. That will help others to find us and enjoy these conversations too. And if you subscribe, you will be notified when new episodes are available. Join us next time as we help Michigan churches punch holes in the darkness. Mm-hmm.